Sawbones is a show about medical history, and nothing the hosts say should be taken as medical advice or opinion. It's for fun. Can't you just have fun for an hour and not try to diagnose your mystery boil? We think you've earned it. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy a moment of distraction from that weird growth. You're worth it. <laughs> and welcome to Sawbones, a barrel tour of misguided medicine. I'm your co-host, Justin McElroy. And I'm Sydney McElroy. Sid, um, no cute intro this week. It's been, uh, I mean, it's just been one fresh hell after another recently. And this is, uh, um, you know, it's always thrilling when one of those um, fresh hells stumbles into Sawbones territory. There's so many. I wouldn't say thrilling. Thrilling is not the right word. No. If there's an opposite... (laughs) Why can't they come up with an opposite of thrilling? Come on, Poindexters, English majors. It's let's, 2020. It's 2020. It's the opposite of thrilling. But uh, um, I mean, upsetting. Disturbing. See, I don't think you're there yet. We'll no. find something, I'm sure. Oh, well, I and I should say at the top of this episode that we're going to be talking about um, the recent... Uh, the the uh, recent report that there is an a detention facility in Georgia, um, specifically an immigrant uh, an ICE run immigrant detention facility in Georgia, that has been performing uh, f- forced sterilizations essentially, um, yeah. doing doing procedures on inmates without their consent, without their informed consent, uh, to render them incapable of having children. And uh, we're going to talk about that. And and we're also going to talk about the history of that in this country. And so I I feel like we should say that right at the beginning, because these are you're able to handle right now. You know, I, 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 I get it. A lot of these, as we're going to go through the history, a lot of these uh, crimes specifically have been committed against uh, black, indigenous and people of color in this country, as well as uh, the people, um, the physically disabled, the mentally disabled. Um, and I do want to clarify one other thing before we get too much further. Sydney did say an ice run facility and not a nice run facility no. like it sounded. Because that was very confusing for me personally until I sort of parsed it. Sydney does not think that this place is nice run. U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, ICE, ICE facility. But not a nice run facility. No. She doesn't think that. I don't want people snipping this out. Before you know it, it'll be their text message alert is you saying it's a nice run facility where there's forced sterilization. This is a whole like Adventure Time Ice King, Nice King. Right. Exactly. Right. right. Yes. Uh, No, I am. And I think a lot of people have heard these recent. uh, And I, by the way, am forcing this joke for for all it's worth because I don't think there's going to be a lot of them in this episode. So let me just have this and then I'll move on. Here is why I think that it's important that we talk about it, Um, which I think for a lot of people is self-evident. But to just reinforce why this is not new for the United States, as shocking and upsetting and horrifying as it is to hear what is happening in this detention center. I think that it is important, if uncomfortable, for us to all reckon with the fact that the United States has been engaging in this for essentially as long as we knew how to do these procedures. You don't want to think you live in that country, but you do. Sorry. I I saw a lot of people saying, you know, there have been comparisons 
I think, for quite a while under this administration to Nazi Germany. And a lot of people are saying, see, like, this is proof. But I think the the important thing to understand is we were doing this before Nazi Germany existed. Right. So uh, we've talked about this some on our eugenics episode because all of this is tied into the history of eugenics. Uh, It's just the two are pretty inextricable. Uh, But I want to go I want to specifically focus on how we have used the procedures that will um, end fertility, whether we're talking about things like tubal ligations or hysterectomies. Uh, or vasectomies, well, some sort of procedure so that the person who has had it performed can no longer uh, give birth or have a child. Yeah, parent a child. Okay, so if you haven't, if you're not aware, there is a, a, a nurse at uh, a Georgia detention faci- facility named Don Wooten who has revealed that in the last, uh, I think, four years, multiple. Uh, Patients there, multiple clients there, I guess, multiple of those who have been incarcerated have been subject to hysterectomies, which already is a little shocking uh, because that isn't even if you were seeking a procedure to stop fertility, you typically aren't going to have a hysterectomy performed. Real quick, what's a hysterectomy? To remove the uterus and perhaps also ovaries, it depends, but uh, that is not, usually if you are going in specifically, if you have a uterus and you have ovaries and fallopian tubes and you're going in to have a surgical procedure only so that you will not have children, solely to stop the ability of you having children, you wouldn't need to remove all of that to do that. Uh, you could do something called a tubal ligation, which is a way of just simply blocking off the fallopian tubes so that the sperm cannot fertilize the egg. You don't need to remove everything, which is a much more um, invasive procedure with a lot, especially if you remove the ovaries with a lot of other kind of medical things you need to do, a lot of follow up and management afterwards. So that already is a little why? What, yeah. what are we doing here? Um, the allegations are that many have been coerced into the procedure by either simply abusing like a language barrier that existed, just not explaining it in a way the patient would understand what was happening, happening withholding information as to like what exactly what this surgery was, specifically the reversibility. There's a lot of misunderstanding that, well, if you get a tubal ligation, you can always just get it reversed if you want to, if you change your mind. And the truth is, while, yes, there are procedures that can attempt to do that, if you have a tubal ligation done, it is permanent. You, you, the understanding is this is a permanent decision to not have children. It should never be phrased as something you could get undone. Similar to the vasectomy you had. Yes. Did the doctor look at you and say, but you can always undo it? If he did, I worry I might have instinctually punched him in the mouth. So uh, let's hope that he didn't. So uh, and then also by insinuations that maybe things will go a little easier on you in terms of the legal aspects of all of this. If you go along with what we're saying here, Mm. Um, I'm I'm not going to get into all the specifics so far. I think we're early into understanding exactly the nature of what happened to each individual patient. I don't think we know all of that information yet. And some of the things I've seen tweeted from other individuals are are pretty shocking and upsetting. So I I don't know exactly what happened, but I think one way or another, it sounds like a a gynecologist at this facility who has been referred to in some reports as the uterus collector was doing uh, an abnormally large number of hysterectomies on patients who did not know that that's what was happening. Um, which is abuse and assault, frankly. Um, So, of course, uh, ICE has not admitted to this charge. This is still, this is, this is a, you know, this is going to go to court. And I think there should be an investigation. I think obviously, hopefully, if you have a soul, you would agree that this needs to be thoroughly investigated to figure out who did what and let's stop them. And I mean... I've seen a lot of people call for if this is true of this gynecologist, they need to lose their license. Well, they need to be in jail. Yeah. I mean, that's it. This is criminal. This is not just like, oh, you were a bad doctor. I mean, you were, but this is also criminal. Surely bad. Yes. Very bad. Um, 
the now when we go into and again, if you think like, well, there's no way this is happening in the United States of America. This is this is kind of the purpose of this episode is to say like, well, okay, if we go to the the earliest examples of this in this country, uh, we usually are targeting with these practices like as a as a an institution, as a state. We're usually targeting people who the state has decided, the people in power have decided should not continue to reproduce. They have deemed them undesirable to reproduce. Mm -hmm. And so you see specific groups being targeted over and over again. Um, One that we have already, a lot of the early laws focused on was anybody who had um, any sort of physical disability, uh, someone who was deemed feeble-minded is the term that was used a lot of the time, and that could encompass a lot of different yeah. things. Um, anyone who they didn't want to have children could have been deemed feeble-minded. So you'll see that that I, I hate I hate to even use the word diagnosis because it doesn't mean anything. But right. that was what the doctors were were saying. Um, but then also to target specific racial groups. Um, and and again, when we think about like the modern eugenics movement, and by modern, I mean not ancient history. So right. we're, we're really talking about the late 1800s, early 1900s when we say modern. Um, a lot of people associate that with Nazi Germany, but it's important to remember, and we talked about this in the eugenics episode, It start a lot of it started here in the U.S. Right. A lot of the original thinkers who wrote the books and sort of laid out the framework for this were United States, I guess, scientists, we could call them. Uh, there were the fitter family contests here in the U.S. in the 1920s. We've talked about that before, but uh, you could go to the state fair and just like you could show your prize pig or cow or whatever. You could display your family and you would bring along like your pedigree all of your family tree and like what diseases you didn't have. And everybody would sit there and take pictures. And it started with the better baby contest and then it ended with the fitter family contest and who has the fittest family. That's disgusting, obviously. But how did you get your kids to do that? Like the amount of standing still and just being still that would require. I don't know. Maybe I don't know what maybe things were just so much more boring back then that that was like real entertainment i guess they wouldn't be asking for an ipad but wowzer those are some well-behaved kids in your in your uh, monstrous uh display there if it's like our fairs you just promise them they can go look at the giant pumpkins afterwards yes look how big that pumpkin is i'll let you fill a huge tube full of uh different colored sugars <laughs> um used. so part of it initially was That's two jokes Trying to Not a joke. trying to encourage people to breed. I mean, and I know this sounds like a perverse way of talking about like human relationships and things like intimacy and de- Wait, like deciding to have children. But like this is the way the eugenics movement looked yeah. at humans. Let's like, say, let's say this up front. Eugenics. Bad. Don't like it. Very bad. We're yeah. going to be reciting. You're going to be reciting. Not we. You're going to be reciting mm-hmm. some uh, different positions that have been taken by this movement. You do not need us every sentence to come up with a value judgment for you. So sure. you know where we're at on eugenics. Let me just say it up front. No good. Very bad. Don't do it. So, exactly. And and they would encourage people that they thought had desirable traits to seek out others with those desirable traits in order to breed. And then they would, the flip side of that was we would prefer as uh, the eugenicists would prefer if people who had undesirable traits and whatever they deemed undesirable was undesirable, uh, would not have children. And this initially could only be done through like trying to get people like, well, don't, don't have sex. (laughs) Um, but that's not a very successful. I think we know by now in the United States of America that telling people not to have sex doesn't work. No. Um, but uh, once there were surgical procedures to do this, this is this is where this movement really starts to take place. Um, initially, the thought was that 
if if somebody is having a child and they say and like let initially this was just thought in a, in the um, case of a C-section, you say that I, I know this is the last kid I want to have. I don't want to have any more kids. There was initially this thought, well, like after they have the kid, maybe you could do a hysterectomy, just remove their uterus. And then that person doesn't have to have any more children. That was kind of the first thought of like a surgical infertility procedure. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1880 in Toledo, Ohio, uh, Dr. Lundgren did the first what we know as a tubal ligation procedure. So instead of having the tubes tied, is that right? Well, there are different ways you can go about it. When we say tubes tied, I think a lot of people assume like they just cut them and tie them off. Um, Initially, you could just cauterize them. So a lot of these early procedures were actually um, removing the tubes in a sense. Mm. They were destroying the tubes. So you could remove the tubes, you could destroy the tubes, you could occlude them with clips. Um, There are lots of different ways to accomplish this goal. Um, In the early procedures, it was easiest just to destroy them, um, cauterize them. Uh, and, And again, the procedure has undergone many, many changes since then. But the idea is that we are occluding, we're blocking off these tubes to permanently remove fertility. Um, other methods of birth control, like oral contraceptives and the the shot that you can get, the depot shot, didn't come along until the 50s. So tubal ligation was an option before it was that, and we had condoms and barrier methods and things, but we didn't have these other medications that were easier to take and more widely applicable. Mm. And less permanent. And and yeah, exactly, less permanent than the 50s. Um, The eugenics movement of the early 1900s saw these procedures and thought, okay, we can use this new technology, this new surgical procedure to stop people from having children. Uh, Initially, like I said, they had just encouraged people not to have sex. That didn't work. So then they tried to pass laws to prevent certain types of marriages that they thought would produce inadequate offspring. Um, that doesn't work because sex and marriage are not the same thing. And so then they said, well, let's institutionalize everybody through all of their childbearing years so that they can't reproduce. Well, that's pricey. So the way that this surgery came in was, oh, this is perfect. We can label someone. Usually initially it was feeble minded. We can label someone feeble minded. We can put them in an institution because we've labeled them feeble-minded. We can force them to have this procedure done, and then we can just release them whenever, because one, if we don't institutionalize them forever, saves money, and two, we have protected the interests of society because now they can't pass along... Their genetic material. Exactly. And so this, this became the kind of... This was the way that people were handled in the United States uh, from the first law that was passed in Indiana in 1907. Uh, Soon, 30 states would pass laws that basically allowed you to force sterilization upon someone who you felt was not genetically suitable to bear children, who would not be uh, conducive to the interests of society. These were now, as you can imagine, as they started doing this, uh, taking people from their homes for whatever reason, doctors um, could could give this diagnosis and institutionalize people. Um, People were sent there if their families just didn't like the way they behaved. Obviously, um, unmarried women who became pregnant were often targets of this as well. Uh, And then again, as I said, um, the disabled were immediately targeted by these laws. Uh, But you could put people in institutions, sterilize them, and then you were done. Uh, There were legal challenges that immediately arose as these laws were passed throughout the country. And um, the decision that we've talked about before, Buck v. Bell in 1927 by the Supreme Court, kind of put it to rest. There was a young woman named Carrie Buck who was being held in an institution, again, for this diagnosis feeble-minded. Her mother had also been diagnosed with this, and Carrie had become pregnant out of wedlock, uh, which was already a strike against her at this time. Um, It it also was probably the result of a sexual assault. Uh, So 
after she had her child, they institutionalized her and said, you know, her mother was feeble minded. She's feeble minded. This child probably is. And the doctors there felt like this would be the case to take to the Supreme Court. This would be the case that they could use to lay the groundwork to allow these forced sterilizations in the United States for as as many reasons as they wanted. So the this court was this case was challenged. It did go to the Supreme Court, and the final decision, as quoted by Oliver Wendell Holmes, uh, three generations of imbeciles is enough. And so they decided that it is okay if in the interest of the state we need to sterilize someone with disabilities, with uh, a lower cognitive ability, and it opened the door for with undesirable skin color, whatever our decision is, we are allowed to do that um, in an eight to one decision. And so as of 1927, it became easy for states to to begin to engage in this activity. There's a lot more to talk about, but let's let's take a quick break before we do. Probably the happiest you've ever been to hear marketing messages here in this brief oasis of commercialism. Let's go to the building department. Let's go. The medicines, the medicines that escalate macabre for the mouth. Sydney, you know how you're always saying that you'd like to build a Justin McRoy fan site full of all your favorite quotes, clips, videos, and hunky pictures of beloved podcaster Justin McRoy? I don't remember. Well, there's that- no need to wait any longer, Sydney, because Squarespace is going to make it easier then you could possibly believe to make a website uh, all about your favorite hunky podcasting superstar. I don't think I was going to. Squarespace, what is it? It's a tool. Think of it as the palette, the palette of a web design artist. But you don't have to be a web design artist. You could just take stuff off the palette that is created by real people that know what they're really doing and put it from the palette onto the Easel. The metaphor is broken down. Basically, you're going to be able to create great-looking websites that have fantastic customer support and help you unlock your creativity and do whatever you want to with your small business or podcaster obsession. You can sell products. You can uh, post your videos. You can share your stories about how Justin has shaped your life and is also a fantastic father. Folks, you got to stop waiting to make your Justin McRoy fan site. Go to squarespace.com slash sawbones for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch your Justin McRoy fan site, use offer code sawbones to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. We have just started rehearsing for the summer theater. That's right. Summer starts in March around these parts. And that means we don't have much time at all in the evenings to make dinner. But we will not be just consuming Wendy's, uh, although there will be some Wendy's consumed, but we are going to have a little extra help with Factor, which delivers ready-to-eat, delicious meals right to your door, and not like junky stuff you get out of the freezer aisle, whatever. This is real, high-quality, chef-crafted stuff that in two minutes you're ready to eat it. I'm talking about some Southwestern-style turkey and mac. I think this week I'm going to be enjoying a shredded chicken taco bowl is 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 part of my plan. Um, but they got like fancy stuff. Listen to this. Where are you going to get this? Truffle butter filet mignon. I mean, seriously? From 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 a, a box pre-prepared? All I got in two minutes? I'm eating filet mignon? That sounds delicious. Yeah, it sounds delicious. And you can give these a try. And it's not just these meals. We're talking pancakes smoothies they got some great wellness shots that are surprisingly delicious and the meals you just eat and eat there's no prepping cooking or cleanup get as much as you need by choosing your meals every week you're going to get exactly what you want no surprises here uh and the meals i can say are delicious so what do you got to lose head on over to factormeals.com sawbones 50 and use code sawbones 50 to get 50 percent off that's code sawbones 50 at factormeals.com sawbones 50 to get 50% off. Uh, Sid, don't, uh, I, I, feel, I feel like we're just getting, I mean, we just made it. It's wild that that recently 
to you really need to reevaluate the country that you think you live in when that recently eight of the Supreme Court justices thought that like this was fine. This the, was fine. I think it's really we'll get to this point, but I think it's really again, it's important if you want to understand everything that's happening today, it's important to understand that not too long ago the idea of eugenics, the idea that it was okay to surgically force people not to reproduce because you didn't like the traits they might pass on. And the idea that there is a perfect or master race mm -hmm. is not that old. And it took hold really firmly in this country. Yeah, it's and not we're going to get to un-American. <laughs> no, it's, it's not pretty uniquely American. We're going to get to a pretty big uh, reason why it it did take a downturn. Um, before that, it's I think this this sort of shocked me too. The state that pursued this most heavily initially was actually California. Mm. So California passed not, not the hippie paradise it is today. No, they they passed their own law in 1909, and a lot of these laws that were passed throughout the country were pretty similar, just allowing that the state can sterilize somebody if it is in their best if they they are deemed not capable of raising a child. Um, so uh, they passed their law in 1909, and a lot of it, here, here is where it gets tied to if people can't take care of themselves and they're living in poverty, then the idea at this time is that maybe that's some sort of genetic thing. Mm -hmm. The eugenicists thought maybe it's all tied in there. Maybe there's something wrong with these, with the DNA of these people who can't seem to pay their rent, feed their kids. Um, there, there's something there. And there was, this was also tied to criminality for a while as well, although this was a much looser association and it was really, they, the eugenicists had a really hard time trying to prove that part of it. They yeah. tried really hard though, that you could find the gene for poor, the gene for murderer, and then just eliminate these people from society. But because of that tie into poverty, you see a lot of migrant workers in California who were initially targeted by these laws. So the people who were forced to have these procedures done initially were heavily uh, the Latino population and the Asian population. So they, they were the, the victims of this um, early on. And I think that it would be very naive to say, but it was just because they were the ones who were poor. Mm -hmm. I, I think there was also, I mean, it was written a very strong bias towards let's stop anyone who's not white right. from reproducing. Uh, so basically they would coerce these um, patients who were already in hospitals. Maybe they had just had a child um, or they had been put into some sort of institution because they were diagnosed with something. They would then coerce them once they were there into the procedure or just do it. You know, sometimes it was like talking them into it or then sometimes they just they just did the procedure. Um, they also used it in prisons very frequently, uh, especially the vasectomy was used a lot in prisons. Again, with the idea that uh, we could stop criminal behavior right, by stopping right. these people from reproducing. Um, about 80 percent of the country's forced sterilizations before 1921 were done in California. Yikes. So oh. um, another early attempts at at this same kind of again i think from a eugenics perspective was in actually puerto rico in 1937 they passed law 116 which the idea was we it was the last law last eugenics law passed in the united states or a territory thereof and it was aimed at curbing the population so the idea was Puerto Rico is living in poverty, uh, many of the people there, and it's because there's too many people. And so if we can limit, limit the number of people, people. then yeah. we can fix poverty was, again, the argument. Um, but by the time this law would be repealed in 1960, about 37% of women of childbearing age had been sterilized. Jeez, so a third, a third of people who could give birth in Puerto Rico had been sterilized. Uh, they were not told the procedure was permanent. Um, many were threatened. Uh, th this was one story I would hear is that 
one tactic that uh, doctors would use is if someone came into the hospital in in labor to deliver a baby, they would say, we will not let you in and assist you in this delivery unless you agree to have this procedure done after you have this child. Mm -hmm. So they would threaten them with with lack of medical care and not just in Puerto Rico. This happened in the U.S. as as well, of course. Um, But uh, uh, eugenicist leaders in the U.S. would actually fly would actually bring Puerto Rican doctors to New York to train them in these procedures and send them back in order to curb the population of Puerto Rico and stop um, them from reproducing. Uh, sterilizations across the U.S. Um, were becoming more popular and started targeting black people in the South, um, Mexican immigrants, Asian immigrants, um, Certainly indigenous people uh, through the Indian health services were being targeted with these efforts. There is a brief pause in this eugenics narrative, in this forced sterilization narrative in the country for uh, two reasons. Um, One is that in 1942, the Supreme Court ruled that, look, if we're going to do this on criminals, if if we are going to. And when I say criminals, I mean people who have been put in jail, who the state believes have committed a crime, whether or not that is true. But if we're going to do that to people who are incarcerated, we have to do it to all of them because of equal protection. So what the Supreme Court at least recognized is that when we're talking about how they were doing these procedures on people who are incarcerated in return for like plea deals and things like that, they were targeting black people and brown people. White color criminals (laughs) were not being subjected to these forced procedures or these deals. And so what the Supreme Court said was, look, if we really believe that committing a crime is a genetic trait and you can stop it through forced sterilization. We have to apply to the white collar criminals too. Exactly. And so that put a- I mean, I love that. Listen, don't get it twisted. We're wild about these forced sterilizations here on the Supreme Court. For 15 years, we've been- loving these things we just want it to be sterilize the white people too it's gotta be everybody's getting sterilized we're we're not second guessing the forced sterilization we're wild about it but but it's gotta be everybody it's gotta be more everybody um the other big dent in the eugenics movement was the nazis uh it it's it's one of those things where as you're laying this out you have to understand a lot of americans were not outraged by any of this so far They were not, this was not being fought. It was being disputed in scientific journals. I mean, there were definitely like, you know, scientists and and people in that field going, I don't know that any of this makes sense. This eugenics stuff. I don't know that it really holds. But like, as a whole, the American people were saying like, well, if somebody's not capable of raising a child, maybe this is just what we need to do. We also don't know. We're not historians. We don't know the extent to which, or time travelers. Uh, we don't know the extent to which the American people was paying attention to this. I mean, like, sure, we didn't suddenly lose our taste for it because we went to war with the Nazis. I think that we saw the Nazis and had to define ourselves in opposition to them I, because they were the, exactly the all in anything that they were representative of. We we probably were looking in ourselves like, well, we know that they're, uh, and I think that a lot of it was seen. If I had to guess again, this is pure conjecture, but seeing the Nazis take a lot of these eugenics arguments to the logical extreme, probably, or to the, I think that's, yeah, probably made a lot of people lose their taste for it because it takes it out of theory and reminds you that, oh, these are actual human lives that you are you know, moving around on a on a chessboard trying to get the perfect person. That that's uh, that's exactly what seems to have happened because after uh, Americans saw what was happening, um, we literally saw pictures of what was happening in Nazi Germany. I think that the idea of preventing pregnancy did not had not seemed so bad, but then once you realize, like. Well, if we continue this, we're murdering. Then murder is the result. Right. Genocide. This is genocide. And what we're doing is genocide. It just doesn't seem as bad because it's in an operating room and it's clean and it's sterile. And, it's still genocide. But it's a genocide. Um, so after World War II, the numbers dropped 
of these forced sterilizations. But you see a resurgence of this later. There was a brief pause. And then like as we move into the later years of the 50s, actually, it's funny. I was looking at West Virginia history specifically um, to see what our state. I, I don't know the, that history in our state. And we were not big on the forced sterilizations. We participated but our, our state was not responsible for tons of them um but like 55 i think was the peak year for us or something um, um i'm sorry folks and i this is somewhere right from my wife i still think 55 is too many uh, no 1955 was the year oh okay got it sorry <laughs> no but um the but in the later 50s into the 60s you start to see these ideas start to come back um and uh that really won't subside and we'll get into this until like the late 70s when all this stuff is challenged again um but again i want to speak to a couple other we talked about this original idea of like you're disabled so we don't want you to reproduce was kind of where it started either you have a physical disability or um development developmentally delayed something like that it quickly branched out into certain racial groups and specifically in the American South, black people were targeted. Um, this started all the way back when these laws were initially passed. Um, North Carolina actually created a eugenics board back in the thirties. And that would, that would add heavily North Carolina, uh, committed a lot of these forced sterilizations because of this eugenics board aimed largely at black women. Um, but black people in general, black men too. And, um, they eventually have, uh, actually paid like settlements to people mm. um, since then in the years since then because of this. Uh, but in Southern states, doctors would take advantage of a lack of literacy and medical understanding to manipulate people into these procedures without actually forcing them. That's, that's the other thing. Like you, as you see the eugenics movement from like a very, Oh, I'm doing this to you because the state doesn't want you to have kids to, backhanded ways of preventing people coercing people or just taking advantage of the fact that they don't understand mm -hmm. so um one important trial that brought light to a lot of what was happening in the south was in 1973 there were three uh young black women uh, katie mary alice and minnie lee ralph who were 17 14 and 12 and their mother was brought them to the doctor and was told that they could all get birth control shots the shot was available and mm -hmm. she said that's okay that's good i want them to get the birth control shot um now the oldest sister katie got the shot which by the way was still and this is a whole other history was still in in trials was still experimental to begin with but the older sister katie got the shot as well as an iud that her mother didn't know about an intrauterine device to prevent pregnancy the younger two mary alice and minnie lee got um tubal ligations performed without their mother's consent against their will without any explanation that the doctor was permanently removing their ability to have children um the in in like all and we're talking about like a level of health literacy all the mother had signed on the form was an x for her name so nothing was explained nobody gave consent um and this was this case when it was brought forward led to the discovery that between 100,000 and 150,000 people in the South, black people in the South, were subject to forced sterilizations through these tactics. Uh, you could just take advantage of the fact that they don't know what the piece of paper they're signing says. Just lie to them. Tell them it's, oh, well, we can reverse it always if you ever change your mind. Or uh, threaten that we'll take away your government benefits. If you don't get this done, this was a common tactic tactic. So the, you see the eugenics movement into move into this, like, well, it's not that we don't want you to reproduce. It's that we don't want to pay for it. So this is really a financial thing. Right. Um, that was the justification. Uh, similarly, uh, native American people were subject to the same treatment through the Indian health service. Um, in 1970 title 10, was passed, which is the uh, the family, the Population Research and Voluntary Voluntary Family Planning Program, um, which was to help, in part, use federal funds to pay for 
certain services, certain healthcare services. Um, the result for the Indian health services for the for our um, indigenous population is between 1970 and 1976, between 25 and 42 percent of women of reproductive age who came in seeking healthcare services um, had sterilization performed. Again, uh, the concept of informed consent doesn't really apply because who knows what the doctor was specifically saying, what they were explaining, was it reversible or not? Nobody was ever told these things. Um, and in some cases it was completely blatant. There were two young women who were brought in for appendectomies and while they were there, they, they had a sterilization procedure performed without anyone knowing this was happening. Um, the, uh, same thing again in California to go back to California. Um, there was a 1975 case in which uh, 10 Latina women sued a hospital for sterilization without consent. Same thing. They were not told that this was permanent. They were not told they were coerced into this happening. Um, uh, so you see these abuses happening again, now targeted, not so. I mean, I, I don't want to say that uh, disabled people weren't being targeted because certainly that can, you know, the, the, mm. the rights of disabled people are still in jeopardy in this country to this day. Yeah. Um, but you see these specific abuses aimed at certain racial groups that are deemed less desirable to reproduce. Yeah. Um, so all of these cases in the 70s kind of it came to a head. Um, I, I don't know if it was that we can say we realize this was occurring or it came to light to the point where we couldn't deny it was occurring anymore as a collective, as a society. Um, a central figure in this effort is Dr. Helen Rodriguez Trias, who had worked, lived and worked in both New York and Puerto Rico and understood all of the abuse that was occurring very well in Puerto Rico and helped to form the Committee to End Sterilization Abuse. And through their efforts, along with help from the ACLU, and there were some studies published from the CDC that kind of shed light on a lot of this stuff, they advocated to the Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, which is now the HHS, Health and Human Services, mm. to change the guidelines and requirements for this procedure. And this is where, if you've ever wondered why there seem to be more regulations surrounding um, sterilizations procedure specifically this is where this comes from mm. so the committee guidelines uh, required a 30-day waiting period between when you would sign consent for the procedure and when you would have the procedure done the idea being that nobody can talk you into it in that moment because uh, they're threatening you. They're trying to take something away from you because you're vulnerable. Maybe you're sick or, or have just given birth or something like that. The idea being that they'll give you time to really think about it and make sure that it is what you wanted and not just what the state or the doctor wanted. Um, and during that time, they also said, you know, these people should be offered counseling services that they have to be provided in the right language mm. so that you can't use that as, as a way to not, in fully inform someone um, and it wouldn't be the doctors we're going to get somebody else in there who because the doctors unfortunately could not be trusted because of their complicity in this historically not yeah. every single doctor but certainly there were doctors who were complicit in this um, as part of that the patient had to like be able to by the end of it explain exactly what was happening to them that they understood its permanence and you know, in that they had an awareness of what they had agreed to. Right. Uh, they came, they became effective on November 1st, 1975. Initially it applied only to New York. This is where this started, but eventually, um, the rest of the country would be pressured to follow suit. There were more lawsuits in different places and, um, you know, federal national guidance began to kind of enforce this, this concept. Uh, Along with the fact that federal funds were not, uh, they, they were prohibited from being used for forced sterilization procedures as well. And so this should have put an end to it. Like at this time, all this, all this effort yeah. in the late seventies should have put an end to this. Um, but what we have found as recently as a report from 2005 to 2013 in uh, California state 
prisons showed that 132 women had tubal ligations performed without appropriate consent. There were records that were falsified. There were records that were removed. Again, uh, the many of the patients came forward and said we were not told that it was permanent or uh, we were told that we had to do this um, for various reasons, legal reasons, or again, benefits or something. Um, they were coerced into doing it. One of the doctors who was responsible for a, a good percentage of these procedures made the comment that the money that these procedures cost, these sterilizations procedures cost was minimal compared to what you save in welfare paying for these unwanted children as they procreated more, which is the language of eugenics. Yeah. I mean, pure and simple. Yes. Um, it's, there's nothing, there's nothing uh, hidden about that. Um, a lot of these modern eugenics and by modern now, I mean today, Efforts focus on uh, we want to prevent pregnancy because um, we don't feel like you can support children financially. Right. And so it's not in the interest of some sort of genetic race, master race thing. It's in the interest of the state to save money I mean, um, is you, the argument. But can you pick a worse one right now? What's the worst one, Sid? Can you actually choose? I actually am sitting here trying to choose. I can't choose. I I don't know. It's all bad. There's no good reasons for eugenics. I think we no, settled no, on that I'm, early in the show. But I think I think that like the when you start to try to paint it different ways. Yeah, you don't you, recognize it. You don't recognize it right yeah, away. And I think it's important trick. to strip it away and say at the end of the day, whether it's because I mean, because this has been used, we talked about this in the eugenics episode. In recent court cases, judges have said, like, a condition of your parole is a vasectomy. Yeah. I mean, that, how, that's, I mean, if you strip it all away, we're practicing eugenics. That's what this, all of this is. So when you hear these allegations from uh, Don Wooten, do you think that this is probably true? Yeah. I mean, why would we think it wasn't true? Yeah, it seems true. I mean, we have a we we it have been seems doing more true this now at the end of this episode than it does uh, than it did at the beginning. We even. we know we have seen I have seen the statistic multiple places that because of that Buck v Bell decision, that seventy thousand sterilizations were done without consent or against consent. Uh, how many more have been done that we don't know? I mean, that's the yeah. thing. How many more have been done using these sorts of tactics? Where look. Maybe we let you go if, or maybe you'll, maybe we'll go a little easier on you if. Think about the Ralph sisters in 73, right? They found that out and it led to a hundred thousand people who'd had this done. Like who knows what, what, what we've missed. And, and I, I think it is, it bears a brief mention too. uh, the, the problem is because we've had to try to put all these regulations around these procedures to protect people so that vulnerable populations aren't subject to them against their will. The flip side is that we've also made it more difficult for people who want to have these procedures done to go get them done freely. There, there were States uh, where you had to get, if you are um, a woman, Seeking this proceed, seeking one of these procedures, you have to get your husband's signature, <laughs> assuming you have one, I guess, to have these procedures performed. To this day, there are still private hospitals who require those sorts of things um, that you like see a psychologist first and write an essay about why you want to have this done. Uh, and, you know, even now, there still is that waiting period in place if you're going to have, um, it depends on your insurance. If you have private insurance, it's not always the truth. Mm-hmm. But depending on your insurance, if you do have Medicaid, there is a waiting period between when you sign the form and when you can have the procedure done. And all these things were put in place, again, for good reasons, you know, to yeah, try to right. protect people. But the flip side is that it has removed autonomy over our bodies in another direction. Yeah. Um, and again, a lot of this tends to be aimed over and over again at black, indigenous, and people of color in this country. And specifically at this moment when we have seen so much 
racist rhetoric used against people trying to immigrate to the United States, it is hard to imagine that it isn't true that this would be leveled against people who are being detained in these inhumane fashions, like the concentration camps on our borders, that this wouldn't be happening in one of our facilities. We, we have the whole history. Why wouldn't it be? Um, thank you for listening. Um, we know this is a tough one, so thank you for, for sticking through it. Um, I guess vote would be the thing that I would say. Um, I, I think I think voting is part of what we need to do. Of course, of, of course, we of course. I'm not removing that, but I think I think that um, I don't understand why every headline isn't the United States continues to participate in eugenics and human rights abuses, and we need to stop it now. Well, we've had kids in cages for months. I mean, it it, it you know, and where's the outrage? It's just, I mean, we're inundated with stuff like this. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me that this people wouldn't be taking to the streets. And, and we should mention, by the way, like, and, and this has only occurred to me now, but like, we're not in any way trying to normalize by contextualizing. You know what I mean? Like, it. it no, no. My my point is simply that if you find these, because there are people who are saying. Well, do we really know? Well, let's let's investigate. Let's see if this is really true. You have no reason to think it isn't because we've been engaging in these types of activities yeah. for as long as we've been able to do them. So I, the, I am I am simply trying to provide the context that it is completely believable. It is, is sadly and disturbingly believable that this is happening. Um. Thank you for listening. Thanks to the taxpayers for the use of their song Medicines as the intro and outro of our program. Thanks to you for uh, being with us. And uh, be sure to join us again next week for uh, Sawbones. But until then, my name is Justin McRoy. I'm Sydney McRoy. As always, don't drill a hole in your head. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. Hi, my name is Graham Clark, and I'm one half of the podcast Stop Podcasting Yourself, a show that we've recorded for many, many years. And uh, at the moment, instead of being in person, we're recording remotely, and uh, you wouldn't even notice. You don't even notice the lag. That's right, Graham. And uh, the great thing about this... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. Okay. And, okay, go ahead. And you can listen to us uh, every week on MaximumFun.org. Or wherever you get your podcasts. Your podcasts. <laughs>